Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Shadow Talk, the weekly intelligence summary. I am HVR. With me this week in Dallas is Alex Giraku. Alex, how are you? Good, good. Trying to avoid um, Avengers spoilers today. I just have to get through a couple of hours and then I'm all good. You have to get through a couple hours with me because I've seen it. Yeah. And you have not. Yeah. So don't make me mad today, basically. <laughs> I'll just wear my headphones all day. <laughs> and then joining me on the line is Jamie Collier, JC Cool, as we call him now. I think you should change your Twitter name to that. I'm not sure I can pull it off. Maybe, maybe just informally, but I think if I went public with it on Twitter, then I might be embarrassed. Okay. All right. Well, fair. I mean, Collier Jam is still pretty good. So I think yeah, you know, I think you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think Collier Jam works. It ain't broke. Definitely not broke. That's true. All right. So this week I've been extremely busy, uh, especially with Avengers last night. Um, so I need a full rundown of what was going on this week. So I heard about some APT thirty four stuff. So Jamie, can you please give me some more information about this? Yes, so a user named Lag Dugdugan on uh, Telegram leaked various information about uh, APT-34, the Iranian group. Uh, this included uh, six attack tools used by the group uh, that were verified by security researchers as being authentic and belonging to APT-34. Um, they also leaked uh, Fred Actor's target list, um, personal identifiable information related to uh, members of the threat group, um, and information on victims. So this included mostly uh, usernames and passwords that were likely collected through phishing campaigns, but also contained information uh, on targets, uh, network server information, and IP addresses. So, and then um, finally, the, the leaker claimed to have been a member of the threat group um, and involved in Iranian campaigns. Uh, but you know we've got to be careful here. This, you can't really uh, independently verify this. Uh, and I think there's also a possibility that the leaker, say, came from a foreign government uh, trying to kind of disrupt uh, Iranian cyber operations. Yeah, this was a really interesting story, and so I'm kind of glad that we're covering it in the insum this week. Um, how do you think that this will affect the group overall in, in kind of the short and long term? Yeah, so I think in the next 12 months, it could be quite significant in terms of having a negative effect on the group. Uh, you know, they've now had a few of their tools exposed. Defenders will now have the opportunity to update their intrusion detection systems, meaning that campaigns using these tools in the future can be more easily detected and therefore prevented. Uh, so, you know, this can be done by implementing indicators of compromise, etc. Um, so that means that those tools are less useful and the group might have to actually think about uh, developing new tools in the future. Um, it also increases the chances that previous APT34 campaigns will be attributed to the group. Now we know a lot more about their toolkit. Might be that other... Uh, defenders of a threat intelligence firms see previous activity using these tools that can then be tied to Iran. Um, also with APT34 members also potentially being identified if that was authentic, um, the leak could cause real internal disruption uh, within, within the group. Um, obviously this would compromise uh, individual security, uh, potentially make them uncomfortable, you know, leading uh, to turmoil internally. And with the, uh, the data leaked that they've obtained from victims or targets in the past, it's also realistically possible that those victims will find out about this and change the compromised passwords, uh, take measures to mitigate uh, the exposed information. 
There's therefore a chance that the future utility of this stolen data for Iranian intelligence operations will be limited. Cool. So really interesting. So how do we think that it will affect kind of the landscape overall? So not just not just in terms of the group, but kind of the overall threat landscape. Yeah, so I think there's maybe three things to take away here. First of all, there's this victim data. Um, and while that might have more limited application for Iran in terms of the way they may be attempting to use it, it could potentially be used and leveraged by other threat actors. So, you know, now there's information exposed about other organizations. Uh, this included organizations in the Middle East as well as Asia and Europe, uh, both government and private sector organizations. Um, that could be both used to target uh, those victims directly, you know, by using the insights gained from that exposed data, but it could also be leveraged to target other organizations. So if we, you know, now know more about the organizations uh, that were exposed, uh, that information could potentially be used in kind of future phishing campaigns to target their suppliers and partners, etc., uh, potentially widening the impact of the, uh, the leak. There's also a question of the leaker themselves. Now, I mentioned we can't really be too sure it was, natural APT 34 operative. Uh, it could also be a foreign government uh, that was seeking to disrupt Iranian operations. But either way, I think we're going to, you know, we can expect a retaliation in the future. Obviously, if that's a APT 34 operative, the impact of that retaliation will be a bit more limited. We can certainly expect future Iranian operations targeting that government if the identity of the leaker is revealed. And finally, uh, there's been a bit of talk about the tools being repurposed. We've seen this before. A good example was when NSA hacking tools uh, were exposed, such as Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance. These were subsequently used in some of the most destructive cyber attacks, including WannaCry and NotPetya. So these APT34 tools could realistically be used on their own, even adapted for new purposes, or combined with a threat actor's existing tool sets. However, compared to, say, the NSA tools that were leaked, um, I think the impact of the APT34 tools being repurposed is significantly lower. These aren't as sophisticated. Some of them contain missing elements that would make it much more difficult for them to be repurposed. And all of this likely reduces the total number of threat actors that will attempt to repurpose the tools. Cool. Really interesting stuff this week, Jamie. Um, there's also a ACH uh, analysis of competing hypotheses in this week's InSum. So if you're kind of an Intel dork like a lot of us are, uh, be sure to go check that out uh, in this week's edition. Uh, download it at resources.digitalshadows.com. All right, let's move on into the weekly highlights for this week. So first up, we've got a phishing campaign leveraging legitimate web services to deliver Revenge Rat. Alex, tell me about it. So Revenge Rat is actually um, a remote access Trojan that's been publicly available for quite some time now. So we've seen it in a few different campaigns, but what was interesting about this one that has been called AGA is that the, uh, the malicious campaign was using legitimate services like Pastebin, Bitly, and Blogspot that were acting as makeshift command and control service and infrastructure. So essentially, the uh, malicious script was communicating with um, the Bitly URL that led to Pastebin and Blogspot that contained additional commands to eventually download the uh, Revenge Rat payload. So it's an interesting way of obscuring malicious code since you're not actually hosting it on the victim machine. All you need is the URL that links to wherever it is being hosted, which also means that the malicious actors behind this can update it whenever they want, essentially. So would they essentially just like update the, the pastebin post itself? Yeah, so the pastebin account that was hosting the um, commands was a pastebin pro account, which meant mm. that they can actually amend the post whenever they wanted to. So if there was something they wanted to change, they could do that uh, whenever they like. 
And I mean, we've seen Pastebin being used previously as kind of like a command and control infrastructure before. Mm -hmm. So while it's not strictly new, it is still interesting to, to see this being used. Hmm. This is also something we've uh, seen cropping up a little bit in the last month is uh, legitimate services being used uh, much more frequently as a delivery mechanism. So we've even seen some malware that would typically be easily detected, but because it's going through a legitimate service, uh, kind of flying under the radar. Yeah, there were a couple of ones that were using some Google services. Yeah, I remember that one, like the Google Cloud um, App Engine or something. Yeah, like and that. then the Google Translate one a couple oh, of weeks right, ago. Oh, right, right, well. yeah. That was a really cool one, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, then moving on. Uh, there were further details on the ASUS server compromise that happened a little while ago. Jamie, why don't you tell us about that one? Yeah, so a lot of uh, technical insight into the Shadowhammer operation that compromised an ASUS server and then pushed uh, malicious software updates uh, to devices last year. Um, we've already discussed that on the podcast, and I think what was um, kind of new or interesting about uh, this report was that uh, there were several other organizations in the gaming sector that had reportedly been targeted uh, with malware that was, you know, very similar to what was used in the ASUS attack. So while we can't um, independently verify um, that there's that link, you know, it does kind of suggest that the operation was kind of maybe targeting uh, the gaming sector. So with supply chain attacks, uh, there's a range of different uh, activity that can be going on that can be conducted for a range of different purposes. Um, this looks like it could be more financially motivated, but you know, remains to be seen as uh, full details are yet to emerge. All right, so then moving on to our third highlight of the week, we've got some new information about the Wipro breach. Alex, why don't you fill us in? So I believe we covered this last week. Uh, there was an attack against the Indian IT outsourcing firm Wipro, um, but this time there was some more information that came out that suggested that this attack was linked to several other campaigns that were widely targeting gift card and other customer loyalty scheme providers. And so while right now there's not enough evidence to suggest that all of these groups are linked uh, throughout all of these different attacks, but these kind of gift card and loyalty fraud schemes um, can be pretty uh, lucrative because, because those types of things are easily sold on places like criminal marketplaces and various other dark web forums and such. Yeah, actually in the, uh, in the FBI IC3 report, they talk, uh, they actually highlighted specifically gift card fraud is kind of on the rise. And um, so that was an interesting little thing. And so when I saw that, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Okay, then let's move on to the look ahead. So why don't either Jamie or Alex, there's only one this week. I so can do, I can do it, Jamie, if you like. All right, so then Alex, tell me what is going to happen. Read the future for me. I will attempt to look into my crystal ball here <laughs> uh, if you want to picture that. But uh, we've seen some activity in the um, ideologically motivated hacktivist uh, sector over the past couple of weeks. After uh, Julian Assange's arrest, um, when he was taken from the Ecuadorian embassy, um, there have been hacktivist campaigns such as Assange that have kind of risen as a result. So. So it's realistically possible that over the next couple of weeks, um, organizations that are either perceived to be hostile towards Julian Assange or who are actually hostile towards Julian Assange will be targeted as a result. And WikiLeaks as well, right? Yeah. I mean, just as an organization. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, then I think that's going to wrap it up for the Intel summary this week. Um, remember to go subscribe, like us, review us on iTunes, do all that good stuff. Uh, go read our blogs. Actually, just put out a uh, FBI IC3 uh, blog about the report this week. Um, 
Alex making fun of me. He knows that I love this report. It's so cool. It has a bunch of like stats in it. Yeah, I was actually looking through the uh, older ones all the way back to like 2005 or something. Mm. It was cool to see how those threats have evolved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so definitely go check that out. Um, so let's go into the question of the week. It's definitely what everybody listens for. Just a question. Uh, so the question that we have from a guest that I won't name yet, because maybe they may make an appearance next week. The question is... It's not Obama. It, <laughs> it's not It's not. Former President Barack Obama, no. So the question of the week this week, if you physically did not have hands, what would you have in place of them? I think the most practical answer to this would be miniature tractor beams. <laughs> so you could still have similar functionality to your hands. Uh, you just not actually have to physically touch something. I guess it doesn't have to be like an actual technology that exists right now. No. Because that doesn't exist. It also doesn't have to be something practical. You could say like... <laughs> Like two small heads, right? Why would you have two small hand, heads? I don't know. Just because? Freak people out? Yeah. You could eat? Oh, that's true. You could just like, <laughs> like attach it to different pieces of food that are on the table. You wouldn't have to pick it up. Okay. You're just like knocking out a step because normally or your just hands. Mouths. Just mouths. Oh, that hands. would be weird. That'd be, that'd be creepy. All right, Jamie, what would you have in place of your hands? Well, I think my left hand uh, would have a microphone so that I could continue to participate in the Shadow Talk podcast. Ooh, um, also, also kind of do it on the go, you know, just always be ready to make an appearance. Um, and then maybe on my right hand, I'd have a blender, which would allow me to kind of eat on the go really conveniently, as well as act as a defense mechanism. You would have, <laughs> as a defense mechanism, you'd be able to uh, mix up your Huel pretty easily too. I feel like if I don't say microphone then you're gonna just steal shadow talk from me and then and then i'm gonna be done for as a host um let's see. you probably have two microphones so you can both speak and interview a guest and have a guest that's true and then, you know then you have a really boring answer and the listeners don't get to kind of get to know your true character i want the gods well, you know what i want the avengers infinity gauntlet all right so that i can snap you out of existence yeah. that's what i want all right well that's gonna do it for this week uh thank you guests thank you listeners uh thank you question supplier who may or may not show up next week who is definitely not Garak Obama. Garak Obama. It's, yeah, because that's not a real person. So, all right. Talk to y'all next week. 